I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The following program is a podcast1.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. The part of thunder and rock and roll. The spell you run down will be broken by Chris Jericho. Yeah, it is Friday. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. The People's Podcast has arrived. Let's go for a ride. You got, got nothing to lose. You got, got nothing to lose. Oh, yeah. You got, got. Nothing to lose. You got got nothing to lose. Ooh, you got got no no no. You got you got you got nothing to lose. Woo! And you've got nothing to lose today because I've got Ace Fraley lead guitar. I like saying the way that Paul Stanley said it on uh, Alive Two. Ace Fraley lead guitar. Shock me! Or at the end of Alive One, Ace Fraley lead guitar. Oh, I can't believe it. I'm so excited. Uh, you know how much I love Kiss. One of my all-time favorite bands have been for 30 years plus. And I've been waiting to get Ace Fraley on the show. Tried to book him a bunch of times. He kept canceling, rescheduling. Finally got him. Finally got him today. Lots of cool questions. Lots of uh, very obscure Kiss Army questions. If you're a fellow Kiss Army member like I am, I think I'm number uh, membership number eight thousand two hundred and forty three. You are going to love some of the questions I got. Plus, we had Shark Week last week, the famous, famous Shark Week, and of course, that means Ash Irvin, the fish expert, will be coming up. He'll share all of his favorite Shark Week moments and all of his shark and fish knowledge he's one of the most uh, popular guests that i've got on the show and then of course ace fraley will be here on talk is jericho we're going to cover so much with him kisses rock and roll hall of fame induction his early days with the band how he got clean and sober how he feels that gene and paul have uh, rewritten history 
And also, what's Ace's favorite Kiss songs, his favorite guitar solos? So many cool uh, tidbits. And, of course, we'll talk about his new album, Space Invader. What's avail- it's available right now. And you can pick it up at Amazon using the Talk is Jericho link, of course. Speaking of music, I still buy a lot of music. I know you do as well. Did you buy a copy of Do You Want to Start a War? Fozzie's new record at Amazon, huh? You can do all that stuff through my Amazon link. I love buying music. I also ordered a couple other things at the same time. I thought I'd tell you guys about the latest additions to my personal music library. I got the new triple disc vinyl version of Deep Purple's Concerto album. The folks at Rhino Records just released this. Purple keyboard player John Lord, who died a couple years ago, composed all the music. And singer Ian Gillen wrote all the lyrics. It was originally recorded way back in December of 1969, 45 years ago, when Deep Purple performed it live with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. This was the first time any rock band had performed with any orchestra. It's happened so many times since with the Scorpions and Metallica and even Kiss have played with orchestras, but Deep Purple was the first. Anyways, you should check this out. I ordered it through my Amazon link. You can as well. I also ordered the classic Deep Purple Made in Japan All my friends used to tell me that Made in Japan is one of the greatest live albums of all time when I was growing up. I bought it originally. I just bought it again. I got the new double CD version with the expanded booklet. Oh, man, I'm telling you, this is one awesome live record. I'm going to play a little bit of the classic Smoke on the Water from that performance, one of the greatest riffs of all time. You know how it goes. We Yeah, just by writing that riff alone, why is Deep Purple not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I know Kiss just recently got in. We'll talk to Ace Frehley about that. But Deep Purple, the only candidate besides Kiss that has been waiting so long, so ridiculous they're not in, because of riffs like Smoke in the Water and because of albums like Made in Japan. Definitely in my top 10 list of killer live albums. Gotta give big ups to the fine folks at Rhino Records for cleaning it up and re-releasing it as a double-disc set. One last album to mention, Jethro Tull's Passion Play was the number one record for the Tull back in 1973. The new version has been mixed in 5.1 surround sound. Comes with the case-bound book. Very, very fruit. So if you're looking for some cool tunes, some cool old-school early 70s tunes, you want to check them out, you can't go wrong with any of those records from Jethro Tull or Deep Purple, and of course you can get them all on Amazon. If you do use Amazon, please link to it through Talk is Jericho. You know I appreciate it because every time you shop on Amazon through my links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage of your purchases to help cover the production costs of this podcast. It's the easiest way to support Talk is Jericho. Doesn't cost you anything extra. You don't have to buy anything special. You get the same great Amazon prices and service. And you know it's hard to beat Amazon prices on almost every product Product. So to get to my Amazon links, once again, you know the drill, but I'm going to tell you again, podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. 
Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for supporting my sponsors. And thank you for supporting me. I love hanging out with you guys twice a week. You know I do. I also love hanging out with this next guest. Uh, I love him so much because he's not only uh, an amazing, amazing uh, character and presence on this show, knows so much about fish, so much about Shark Week. He also happens to be my son. I want to bring him on again due to popular demand. Talking about Shark Week, here he is. Ash Irvin, the fish expert, is here. All right, so last week was uh, Shark Week, one of the most popular weeks on television. Uh, on Discovery Channel. I think now it's moved over to a bunch of other channels. And to talk about Shark Week, it's the big return of one of the most popular guests on our show. Fish expert Ash Irvin is here. Uh, how you doing, Ash? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm glad that uh, we're able to... I'm glad you're able to book some time in your busy schedule to, to, to talk to your dad about uh, Shark Week. Now, you've been a big fan of Shark Week for, for years now. Pretty much... Since it's came out, I've liked it, or since I've heard about it, I've liked it. You've liked it? Yes. But you were saying that you wish it wasn't uh, just Shark Week. It was, I wish it was Shark Month. <laughs> shark Month. Now, what is it about uh, Shark Week that you like so much? Uh, I'm a huge shark fan. I've always loved, loved sharks. They're just so cool. I love I love them. They're just like, I love, love like all their hunting skills, and they look they look really, really cool when they're swimming through the water. And then there's like some of them that glow, like the cookie cutter shark. They The cookie cutter shark's stomach glows to hide itself in the very dim light of the twilight zone. What's the twilight zone? There's three zones of the ocean. I think I, we went through this like the first time. Mm-hmm. And the first is the sunlight zone, then the midnight zone, and then the twilight zone. The twilight zone is the bottom of the ocean the midnight zone there's in the midnight zone there's absolutely no sun whatsoever so the cookie cutter shark has a glowing stomach yes and it lives to hide from predators in the very dim light so when they're looking up Mm -hmm. and the cookie cutter shark is on top of it Mm -hmm. or above it sorry all they see is basically the sun which is the sky which is the cookie cutter shark's stomach glowing. Wow. So it throws them off. Yes. Okay. Is there any other kind of special... special? Uh... Uh, when they attack prey that's much, much bigger than them, such as dolphins, big tuna, great whites sometimes, mm-hmm. sperm whales, whales, and they're only like... They get like... The biggest specimen ever found, I think, was about... Two or three feet, mm-hmm. and but they're attacking things that grow like sixteen feet, like nine feet to even fifty-six feet. Wow! So they're pretty, pretty dangerous. Not fifty-six feet, uh, just big. Five to six feet. No, 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 no. Like, okay, just big. Great, yeah, big whales, sharks. Gotcha. Dolphins, big fish like tuna. So tell us about uh, what, what? What are some of the shows that you watched last week on Shark uh, Week? Last week, I watched uh, Shocking Sharks, which showed the top 10 weirdest sharks in the world, uh, in the ocean. Really? Number 10, or I think I can remember them all. See if you can get them all. Hammerhead Shark, Wabigon Shark, Tiger Shark, Seven Gill Shark, Goblin Shark, Cookie Cutter Shark, Great White, 
This isn't an order. I can't remember the order. <laughs> uh, you but, won't be docked points. It's okay. Uh, and then there is the... Shoot, I can't remember any. I can only remember... Was it the seven. lemon shark? No, the lemon shark was not on. But there was... Oh, eupalyptic shark. What's a eupalyptic shark? They got on... I can't even pronounce it. I know, it's hard. <laughs> There's species of cat shark mm-hmm. that can walk. They walk, They eat uh, sh- shellfish and stuff that live in the ground, like worms, shellfish, and like worms. really, yeah. So and it helps them f- to hunt when they're walking across the uh, seabed, seafloor, and they their fins just come down. They go. Oh, so they're still submerged in the water, though. Yeah, and sometimes sometimes they'll live in tidal pools. Mm-hmm. Now, what's a tidal pool? A little pool that has very little oxygen that uh, many animals cannot survive in. Eupalyptic shark can. And what it is, is high tide. There's high tide and low tide. High tide is, you know, high higher tide than low tide. And what happens is there's little, like, little holes in the ground mm-hmm. on beaches and rocks, rocky things. And when the, it's high tide, the water covers that. Fish come in. Stingrays come in. They look... They stay there and then they get stuck when high or low tide comes mm-hmm. and all the water comes out and all like starfish sea urchins sometimes octopuses and eupalyptic sharks get stuck in there there and the eupalyptic shark can w- get up out of the water and walk for a very short distance back into the ocean wow so it can kind of breathe no oh it's it just it's hold just, his breath yeah he goes <laughs> <laughs> So what was the other show that you were watching? It was talking about um, the shark or the great white sensory sensory system, what, the what, Code Red. What was that? Yeah, tell us about that one. Uh, Code Code Red was a show where they were these two scientists were dissecting a like a six foot great white, mm-hmm. and um, they're finding out how they uh, jump find the seals, and then why they jump out of the water to catch them. All sharks have six senses. Hmm. And it's all the senses we have, but then they have an added sense. I don't know what it's officially called, but they get it from their this something called the lateral line, mm-hmm. and that is like on every fish in the ocean has a lateral line, and it's just a line that goes right down their the side of side of uh, of their bodies on their of their bodies, and they could sort of just hear. You can't see, but I'm doing finger quotations. <laughs> um, hear everything around them also gives them like an extra uh, 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 they could feel and hear like oh. they could hear splashing all around them just from like the vibrations in the water yes. or something yeah. okay vibrations in the water and that was when they were showing how the shark was made and the shark has no bones right yeah the shark all sharks don't have bones they have cartilage hmm. cartilage is a lighter that's how they swim so fast Oh, because they have cartilage. Instead of bones, that's okay. how they... Now, you were talking about how uh, you should never eat shark fin you soup. Can nev- you should absolutely never eat anything that has shark in it. Like shark um, pills, like really? anything that has... Shark meat? No, no shark meat, no shark fin soup, no like you know, medicine that has dr- or shark cartilage in it, shark mm-hmm. car- cartilage and oil in it. You should never take that. True reason why you shouldn't eat anything uh, that has shark in him, shark in it. What are the two reasons? 
BMAA, which is a disease that can cause mental disorders. Really? And mercury, mercury, which is the deadliest non-radioactive toxin known to man. And sharks have a lot of that in their in, in their, their bodies fins. In, in, their fins. Uh, in their bodies. Yeah, that's why you should never ever eat. Anything that has shark. But isn't shark fin soup like kind of a delicacy in, in Japan or it's something a, like that? It, it's, apparently, it's awful. There's no taste whatsoever. It's bad for you. There's no nutrition. It's just a symbol of mm. power, I think. Oh, I see. Kind of one of those crazy things. If you eat a shark fin, you'll get stronger or something like pa- that. Yeah, more powerful. And they're also talking about how uh, sharks are, are, are starting to face extinction in some areas. Some areas, yes. Since like the 70s, mm-hmm. ever since Jaws came out, mm. most sharks' populations have gone downhill and very few people are trying to protect them. But I mean, if a lion, lions and tigers were about to go extinct, everybody would jump to their aid. Mm-hmm. But again, with the sharks, nobody. They're saying that about me. dolphins too, right? Yeah, dolphins, sh- tigers, lions, anything cute, they'll right. protect. But you said nobody will come to the shark's aid? No one except me. <laughs> except for you. You're going to lead a crusade to save the sharks? No. Not until I get older, at least. Yeah. But there's also uh, a... And people, like, some country, or some states and countries and provi- providences are doing temporal bans and permanent bans, like in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. There's b- bans against shark fishing. Mm. And the Bahamas' tourist industry has gone up because of the sharks. Because people want to go see the sharks? Yes, instead of kill them. And then in Mexico, I think, yeah, Mexico, someplace like that, which has a big shark fishing industry, they did a temporal ban right when the sharks needed it in breeding time. So are they trying to to help the sharks? Is there kind of any type of worldwide thing going on to stop extinction? No, not really. Oh, wow. Okay, and is this all types of sharks or just... Most types of sharks. Wow. And in some areas, there are uh, permanent bans of shark fishing, but some, like in the Bahamas, there's no illegal, or there's not a lot of illegal fishing for sharks. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a, a law in, in the Bahamas. Okay. Is there any other shows that you watched on uh, uh, Shark There's Week? this one show called Shark Girl, mm-hmm. who was just from, she was from Australia, and she was big on sharks she was trying to protect them and see how they are in other countries she lived in australia mm-hmm. like there's no like shark say there's no like there's no ban there right, there's no been, rules to protect sharks in uh on the great barrier reef oh well she has a special reef called osprey reef mm-hmm. which has a lot of sharks in it which that, is cool and she's trying to protect that area yeah she's trying to protect all sharks Okay, but but more specifically around the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah, around Oscar the Great Reef. Barrier Reef. Wow! So because you... Australia has a big uh, industry for shark fin soup and wow. sharks. Uh, yeah, they, uh, I think it was two thousand eight hundred for or a kilo for a shark fin. That's what it costs. Two thousand eight hundred a kilo per kilo for wow. a shark fin. So it's pretty expensive stuff. It's called a delicacy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so uh, you saw some great shows this year on Shark Week. I know you have some DVDs of previous Shark Weeks. Uh, is there one specific program that stands out of all the Shark Weeks that you've seen that's your favorite? I like the Shocking Sharks, and I like the Dirty Jobs, too. They, Dirt- did, a, they did a Greenland shark thing. What's a Greenland shark? 
it is one of the only species that lives in uh very cold climates like they sometimes live in uh in the arctic areas there's one of the they're one of the only species that do live in art on the arctic oh, in the arctic they can handle the cold water yeah they're just okay. very slow moving or animals and not sharks and not much is known about them and they had micro go out and try and find them in dirty jobs you yeah said? try to catch them they caught two and they had to they dissected one dissected one and they re- tagged and released another one Oh, okay. And the cool thing, or the weird thing about in uh, Greenland sharks is almost on almost any sh- Greenland shark, they're blind because they have copepods living on each of their corneas. Hmm. That's just how they are. Like that's how they They get big too. How big do they get? Like sixteen, eleven feet. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. And they're they're very bountiful. They're just very hard to catch because they're in uh. Bountiful. I don't even know what that means. It means there's a lot of them? Yeah. There's an abundance of them. (laughs) Well, Ash, uh, your fish expert skills are as amazing as always. And uh, we'll have to wait another, I guess, 11 and a half months till the next Shark Week comes on. But maybe someday it'll be Shark Year. Maybe someday they should have the, the Shark Network. That would be cool. That'd be cool, huh? You can have your own show on that. Not till I'm a bit older. <laughs> Not until your drinking age. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ash, the fish expert. Thank you so much uh, for for uh, joining us again. Any final words to your legions of fans? Bye. You were a great audience, and keep watching Shark Week and sharks. Peace out. Thanks again to our resident fish expert, Ash Irvin, my son. Always a good comedic streak there. And how smart is that kid? Bountiful. Who uses that word? Always great to have him on the show, and I always learn something. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? I'm not. I'll tell you that right now. All right. Coming up very soon, founding Kiss guitar player and Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Ace Fraley is coming up. The Space Ace is here. All right. There are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos, amigas. See, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words, sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started for a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. 
You're listening to Talk is Jericho. All right, here we are on the line with a true rock and roll pioneer, a rock and roll Hall of Famer, and a sexy beast himself. Ace Fraley is here. How you doing, Ace? Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show. No, it's great. I've been trying for a long time. You've been on my list uh, of guys <laughs> to have. And we're crossing paths as always. It's funny because we crossed paths one time before at the metal show, uh, that metal show, with, uh-huh. with our mutual friend Eddie Trunk. And I showed up, I was a guest, and they were doing two shows in a day. And I showed up at the dressing room, and on the door it said, Dressing room, Chris Jericho, Ace Fraley. And I was like, wow, that's some pretty uh, esteemed company to be sharing a dressing room with. Did, uh, I'm trying to remember when that was. That was probably back in 2011 or 12, and uh, it was funny because it, you were in there and I was in there, and like obviously like super like oh my god, it's Ace Frehley. But I I know you, I feel like I know you because Eddie Trunk obviously is a good friend of mine too. So you were super funny, and you let me uh, I think you even gave me one of your bananas that you were eating or something like that. So I appreciate you letting was me. That, sh- was that the day I did the smoking flute? That's the one, the smoking flute. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the best gigs ever, the smoking flute, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, good to be talking to you, Ace, here uh, on the eve of the release of your new solo record, Space Invader, which uh, you just had Anomaly come out in 2009. And before that, the last solo record you did was Trouble Walking. So now it's not every 20 years you're doing a solo record. We only had to wait five years for this one. So you're speeding along now, man. Yeah, the next one's probably going to be even less than that. So <laughs> <laughs> you're getting quicker now. You're getting quicker. Yeah, so, I'm. Get, I'm on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Uh, what, what was the, the mindset in getting back in the studio so quickly in comparison to, like we said, this 20 year gap that you had before that? Uh, I don't know. It was, you know, the, the fans were demanding it, and I had songs that I had written over the last few years, and. I ended up, uh, you know, I was talking to two or three different labels, and I finally settled on uh, a deal with E1 Music here mm-hmm. in the States. And, uh, you know, I started recording in July of last year, and, uh, you know, we mixed it about a month ago here in uh, Los Angeles with Warren Hewart. You know, he just did the last Aerosmith record. Great. And uh, it just all fell into place, you know. We got Ken Kelly to do the cover, who you know, who painted the Destroyer and uh, Love Gun covers. Yeah, the classic, uh, the classic Kiss covers for sure. Now, do you, are you always writing songs constantly, or do you kind of write them in chunks? Like, did you sit down and say, "Okay, I'm going to do a new record. I'll start writing now," or are you always kind of noodling and keeping uh, keeping tracks uh, going all the time? I write sporadically. You know, sometimes I won't write a song for weeks, and then one weekend I'll I'll write three songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's no rhyme or reason. I don't have a formula in which, the, you know, and how I put songs together. Sometimes I start with a a guitar riff. Sometimes I'm I'm on an acoustic guitar. Sometimes I'll I'll hear a catchy melody, or sometimes it even starts with a poem. Hmm. So, you know, that's the way. You know, on this record, also something special. You know, I've never done before is I collaborated on two songs with my fiance Rachel Gordon and. Uh, I saw that. Now, how's that? I know, like, with my wife, when we're putting together a grocery <laughs> list, we get ar- in an argument. How is it using uh, your fiancé's lyrics? Well, you know, we've been together five years, so it took a while, you know, to finally get up enough nerve for me <laughs> to go up to her and say, let's really try to write a song together. You know, I had I had some chords, you know, I, I put together, and, and she had, you know, these lyrics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
we just, you know, it just fell into place really nicely. And, you know, they're, they're two of the best songs on the record. So it was a, a true collaboration, which which Absolutely. is great. Now, did you have to defer to her? Did you have to let her have the final say if she wanted to keep a, a line in there, or did you have she to had, say she had the final say on the lyrics? <laughs> Smart. And and, and, also, and it was funny because also in the I had a sound bite in the beginning of Immortal Pleasures, and it was a crying baby, and she goes, "That's terrible. You can't leave that on the record." So I said, "Well, what do you, what should I do?" She goes, "Well, why don't you?" Put something from a sci-fi movie, you know. The album's called Space Invader, uh-huh. and then ended up uh, putting in the uh, apart from uh, Forbidden Planet, you know. Oh, right, perfect, perfect. But uh, like you said, though, man, that's a smart move to defer to your wife and let her get the final say. It's uh, that's the way it, uh, it works for all of us to to keep your wife's happy, right? <laughs> Yeah, if they're happy, you know, our lives are a lot more simplified. <laughs> now, another thing too, Ace, is you've always had a long-standing um, uh, tradition, I guess you'd say, of doing two things, an instrumental and a cover song, and you have one of each on this record. Tell us a little bit, a little bit about Starship. I mean, it's got a lot of tempo changes. There's a lot of really cool parts on that song. That was a song that evolved from actually a... a, a a rhythm guitar part that I wrote in 2004. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the inception of that, you know, was was 10 years old and it's, it has, it's, you know, gone through different metamorphoses and, you know, it's evolved over the years. And up until the last month of of recording, I still wasn't sure exactly, you know, what the final uh, Mm -hmm. arrangement was going to be. And, uh, ended up taking a part that I had inserted in a different song. Actually, actually the, the, uh, there was a part in, uh, Inside the Vortex that I mm-hmm. pulled out and put it back in Starship. And, uh, I'm real happy with the way it turned out. I think it was kind of nutty, too, the, the conversation in the intro with the uh, astronaut, you know, and <laughs> mission control. <laughs> I don't know if that's legitimate. I pulled it off YouTube. It's funny, though. That's, we, we, you know, when we do some of our records, you pull sound effects and pull little... <laughs> I mean, we did, a, we did a song where we wanted to find some chanting, like a witch's chanting, and you just yeah. go on YouTube and Google it, and there you go. You find it. Stick it on there. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's a whole different world now with with access to the internet. Let's talk about that. I mean, you know, you've been making records since 1973 or 74. What are the major differences that you see when you make a record, you know, in 2014 in comparison to the way you used to make them back when you first started recording? Well, I don't make them that differently, except, you know, everything's Pro Tools now. Mm-hmm. You know, they're marketed differently because of the internet and, you know. Right. When I started, it was vinyl and two-inch tape machines, you know? Well, yeah, and that's how you would record the actual record, and then you'd have the engineer who would take the actual razor blade and cut the tapes to make the edits, right? Correct. You know, now with Pro Tools and digital editing, it's just the click of a mouse. You know, it simplified my life greatly as a producer. Do you ever notice, I mean, it was funny, I was listening to uh, BTO yesterday, uh, the song um, Let It Roll Down the Highway, and the beginning guitar riff, it's slightly, just slightly out of tune. There was that human element back in the 70s and even in the 80s as well. Do you find that that's it's a little bit too pristine sometimes with some of the releases that uh, people are doing now with the Pro Tools? Well, you know, there's plugins in Pro Tools that'll, you know, take something that's out of tune and put it in tune. Mm-hmm. And you know, people are doing that with their voices. I guess some guys are doing it with guitars. I personally don't mind something a little off. I mean, there's a couple sloppy parts in, in a few of the solos that you know. 
mm-hmm. Warren was saying, I said, you know, I'm, that bothers me a little. And he goes, no, leave it in. It makes it more human. Right. You know, you get caught up in that, trying to make everything perfect. But, you know, I'm glad I listened to him because, you know, when something isn't, you know, completely perfect, it's more human. Well, that's, yeah, you get that human element. Now, of course, yeah. you're, you're not human. You're an alien from outer space. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you were human, I mean, it, yeah, it definitely makes it more real when, when you have those little glitches sometimes. Uh, I find that some of the, the records nowadays with so many uh, tracks and overdubs, it does get a little bit robotic. Yeah, well, you know, I I record with analog equipment, mm-hmm. and you know, I I still use old tube mics and old amplifiers wow. and, and old preamps, so you know, I'm still I still strive to get that vintage guitar sound, you know, but eventually it all ends up on discs. So I mean, you know. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, with the compression and everything. Yeah, what? but you know, everything's a, a toss up in life. But you know, the, the advantages of digital editing and the speed of recording with Pro Tools. I mean, you know, I'm walking around with my album in a 64 gigabyte USB drive in <laughs> yeah. my pocket. Yeah, and that's funny. You, 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 we got all the way in technology to have the USB in your pocket, but now everybody wants it on vinyl again, and vinyl, <laughs> vinyl's come back. Well, I'm, we're definitely releasing Space Invader on vinyl, so I mean, you'll have your choice of whatever format you want. It's it's still fun to have that actual vinyl in your hand yeah. too. You know, it's notice- actually going to be uh, double discs. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, the, the, three the- songs on each side. Yeah, with the heavier weight and all that stuff. Yeah, people are really getting back into that, which is cool, because I think sonically, the clarity, you can hear all the layers of, of the music as well, the little harmonies, or if you have a, a tambourine in the background or whatever it may be. It sounds better. Yeah, absolutely it, it does. Better. What kind of guitars did you use to record this record? Do you still have some vintage ones uh, that you use, Ace? Yeah, I mean, I, I used an array of Les Pauls, as usual, you know, mm. but I also have, you know, a half dozen Strats and Tellys. And, uh, you know, a half dozen acoustics. You know, I like to layer stuff. You know, I'll usually cut a track, a basic track with a Les Paul and double it with a Fender because, you know, a Fender has a a different harmonic range. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when you blend the two together, you get a much thicker track. And then sometimes I'll double it with an acoustic and just tuck that under the electrics. That's a a trick I I learned from Pete Townsend of The Who. Oh, wow. You know, a lot of a lot of Townsend's uh, tracks. You know, even though it's, it's majority of it's electric guitars, he's a lot of times he's yeah. got a, an acoustic tucked under there on the mix. You know, you're right, and that's what makes it even heavier when you have that exactly. that, that, that lushness. Was that one of your uh, your favorite uh, guitar players when you were a kid? Yeah, Pete was a big influence. I cut school one day when I was fifteen, sixteen years old, and I and I, and I went to see Mitch Ryder in the Detroit Wheels, mm-hmm. and lo and behold, but opening for Mitch Ryder was the Who and the Cream. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that, that was a big treat for me, and it changed my life. Yeah, not a bad lineup of uh, guitar players on that bill. Oh, yeah. And, and you're talking about uh, bands that, and, and guitar players that have influenced you. Uh, also, the other thing I was talking about is you've had a longstanding uh, tradition of doing uh, really cool cover songs, um, going back to even 2000 Man with the Stones. You did Fox on the Run with Anomaly. The first time I ever heard Do Ya by ELO was, was on your record. And wow. on this... And this record, you're doing The Joker by, by the Steve Miller Band. What led you to do that tune? 
Well, that wasn't my idea. You know, uh, Ken Gulick from E1 Music came up with the idea for me to track that. I was a little resistant because I didn't think it was heavy enough mm-hmm. for the record, you know, but I, I figured I'd give it a shot, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, in 1978, when Eddie Kramer suggested that I do New York Groove, I was resistant to that one, too. It turned out to be my biggest hit, so. Yeah, that was a cover tune as well, right? Yeah, so I figured I'd get out of my own way and listen to somebody else once, <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> now, when you recorded the record, uh, I know you had a, a couple players with you. Chris Wise from The Cult is one of them. Did you jam the songs out first, or did you just send them the part? Was it kind of a band atmosphere, or was it just kind of like those guys played and then you played? No, I mean, normally I track with just me and a drummer, mm-hmm. you know, Matt Starr played all the drum tracks on this record. Yeah, that's the way I recorded my 78 record, you know, with Anton Fig. Mm-hmm. And it's real easy to work that way. But when, when Chris was in the studio, we, tr- we, we tracked everything, you know, as a three-piece. And that, that was a lot of fun. He's a real quick learner mm-hmm. and a great player. And a, it, was a, it, was, it just went real smooth and real quick. I think we got the two songs he did, like, in, on the third take. So, are you going to? Uh, are you planning on doing some live, uh, some touring with, with with Space Invader? Yeah, I'm planning some shows in the fall in the states with uh, Matt Starr, and I believe Chris is going to play bass as long as he's you know not yeah. touring with the Cult. That, that must be pretty cool for you. I mean, I think it's been a while since uh, since you were on tour, right? Yeah, it's been been a couple of years since I did a real a real proper tour. So. Uh, it should be fun, you know. Australia wants me back. Japan wants me back. Europe wants me back. So we're talking about that towards the end of the year. And then, you know, if the album really takes off like I hope it will, you know, maybe we could do a real proper tour, you know, in the in spring States. of next year here back in the States. It's amazing. After all these years, those countries still want you back, Ace. Yeah, well, you know, I've been doing it for a while, and I, I kind of got it down at this juncture. <laughs> You know, uh, speaking of bands, I, I actually went to the Barclays Center and saw you get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wh- what an amazing night that was. How, how did you feel being up there besides the fact that you didn't have your prescription glasses on and you couldn't read your speech? <laughs> <laughs> it was a real special night. I had such a good time. Uh, you know, it was real positive, you know, positive press. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Everybody was on their best behavior. You know, my only regret was that we didn't perform, you know. Yeah, it was it was kind of a drag. And also, I thought it was weird that, you know, that they didn't at least have somebody perform, like put together, you know, Tom Morello and a couple of guys or have some kind of Kiss music represented. I thought that was kind of strange. I offered, I offered different variables. You know, I said, I'll get up there, you know, with, with three other stars and do New York Groove. Mm-hmm. You know, and they actually, I was actually supposed to perform at the very end with Bruce Springsteen. I was supposed to do Highway to Hell. Oh, really? And that was cut because of, you know, everything went so overtime. That's right. Yeah, I remember the E Street band. Uh, yeah. There was like eight... I mean, they took forever with the speeches. <laughs> there was eight, 18 guys in the band oh, up man. there. And there. I think I went up to the bar when the first guy started talking. By the time they were done, I was completely loaded. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I mean, it, it was interesting, though, leading into that, too. I mean, there was so many, you know, arguments and, you know, the, 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 the almost tabloid, uh, this guy said this and that guy said that. But you were the one guy that just kind of sat in the middle and you were actually saying, I want to go in the Hall of Fame. I'm excited about it. Uh, w- when you finally did see the other three guys, there had to have been some, some magic there between you just to see your old friends and know that you're going to be on stage for this thing that you created so many years ago. I mean, I got good vibes from everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, 
we created something special in the seventies that's that's withstood the test of time, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, everybody was causal. Everybody, you know, Did- you know, it was, it's just unfortunate that Paul and Gene decided that they didn't want to perform with me and Peter because you know that would have been history, you know. 40 years of music, they couldn't give the fans 15 minutes. Especially in Brooklyn, too. You know what I mean, Ace? Yeah. And, and I know how you think. I'm sure you think a lot like me after being in showbiz for a long time. You know that you guys would have torn the house down if you would have played. Because Cat Stevens is great, and Hall Notes is great, and Linda Ronstadt, you know, the, the lineup they had was awesome. But was. Kiss, I mean, Kiss would have just been like, whoa. Well, if you remember back in 1995 when when we did the Unplugged mm-hmm. concert, the place went completely, it was pandemonium. Yeah. And subsequently after that, we we did the reunion tour. I, I think Paul and Gene might have been a little apprehensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if the two, if they would have performed with me and Peter, you know, the fans might have demanded it again, and they would have had to scrap their tour that they're currently on now with Tommy and Eric. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think you know they're coming up with all these other ridiculous excuses. You know, I can't cut it, or Peter can't cut it anymore. I mean, that's a joke. Right. Well, so, yeah, uh, I think you know more of a business decision, like you said, rather yeah. than a than a, a, a talent. I mean, obviously, you're still playing just as well as you ever have, and you can hear that on Space Invader. Uh, you mentioned your first solo album a couple times. Tell us about a little bit about like I mean, Kiss was really popular, kind of at the at the at the peak of your game. Where did the idea come from to do those four solo albums in the first place? I believe it was Neil Bogart's genius idea, mm-hmm. and you know, Bill O'Connor, our manager at the time, got behind it, and and we got behind it. You know, it was it was, it was almost a, a welcome idea because you know we had lived with each other on the road and toured constantly for so many years. We needed a break from each other. Mm-hmm. So everybody was going to go off on their own and, you know, do their own thing. And I was looking forward to it. I was lucky enough to get Eddie Kramer, who did a live, you know. Yeah. So was it up to my record? Was it up to you guys to go out and find, like, okay, find whoever you want to produce it, whoever you want to play on it. Just go out, Ace, and see who you can get. Is yeah, that- I immediately, you know, called Eddie, and, and he jumped at it because me and Eddie always had a great working relationship in the studio. He always liked to experiment with getting different sounds. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd flip the tape over to get back with solos. You know, we'd have 25 different amps and 25 different mm-hmm. microphones and experiment with different sounds and feedback. And, he, you know, he was just so much fun to work with. What, did you have like um, I always think of, of of you in a lot of ways. You were like the the hard rock George Harrison, in that. <laughs> That's interesting. No one's ever said that to me before. <laughs> and you, and, but you know where I'm going with this, right, Ace? I mean, you got George Harrison, great musician, great songwriter, in a band with Paul McCartney and John Lennon. So every album, George got one song or maybe two. Yeah. It's kind of happened in Kiss as well. When you started getting your your you spreading your wings as a songwriter, you're getting one song a record or two songs a record. Did you have a whole kind of bag of songs ready to go when you did your solo record? Or did you start from scratch? Pretty much. No, there was actually songs I had been, uh, you know, keeping in my bag of tricks. And I, you know, I remember the the, the album I did prior to the solo records. Uh, I, you know. We, it, you know, whenever we got into the studio to do a record, everybody would present demos and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, but there was a couple I held back because I was saving them for my solo record. Oh, okay. And uh, you know, 
we all know what happened with the solo albums. Mine was the most successful. (laughs) (laughs) She might disagree with you, though. (laughs) How did that go over in the camp? Did you get a couple, like, like kind of uh, weird glances? Like, oh, great, Aces is number one. Like, I'm sure Paul... I never really got big congratulations, you know. (laughs) I mean, to this day, Gene is still saying that his album sold more than mine, which is ridiculous, you know. But those guys have been trying to rewrite history for 40 years. (laughs) <laughs> why, why, why do you think that that is, Ace? I don't know. <laughs> it's you know they they're trying they're trying to recently they they made a statement in the press which I thought was completely ludicrous that they they were saying that you know Kiss is going to go on without Paul and Gene you know eventually Paul and Gene are going to replace themselves. I mean, how ridiculous is that statement? <laughs> I mean, that's like Mick Jagger going into the press and saying, well, you know, when, when me and Keith retire, we're going to get two guys to replace us. I mean, give me a break. Well, I mean, and I guess technically if they wanted to make it some kind of a Vegas review, like, a, you know, when you go see an Elvis impersonator or something, they could do that. Is, is Did you have to, I mean, obviously you did. I mean, you created the the, the Kiss, your, your Ace Fraley famous makeup. Did you have to sell them the rights to, 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 I, I licensed them the rights. Ah, you licensed it. And I get uh, I get checks quarterly. Gotcha. So is that something that, like, uh, like in 10 years they have to renew? or? I don't know. My lawyer said, you know, there's uh, in the future, you know, there's some gray areas about, you know, hmm. whether or not I'm going to get it back or uh, renegotiate. Interesting. And, you know, they're examining that right now. You know, I mean, Paul recently said that they own the makeup. That, that's bullshit. They hmm. don't own it. They leased it. Wow. But, I mean, that's just another thing in, in this list of things that you created with Kiss. You even uh, created the logo. That is correct. And, and Paul will disagree. <laughs> I, I sense he a theme the here. Logo and he drew the line straighter, and he's trying to say he, he created it with me or something. Right, give me a break. <laughs> so um, what was your mindset when you did that? I mean, did you, I guess, it's funny because when you go to Germany, the Kiss records there have a different logo because I guess those S's were like the SS logo from, from, from Nazi Germany. No, it, was, it, it wasn't derived from, from anything of course Nazi. Not. It was, right. you know, it was... If you looked at my costume at the time, I was wearing lightning bolts. You know, ah. it was, you know, I'm the spaceman. You know, I, I've always had lightning bolts and been associated with lightning bolts, and that hmm. was representative in the logo. Now, you know, your record's called Space Invader. You talk about being from space. Were you always kind of, uh, you know, interested in, in what was going on in our space when you were a kid? Or how did you decide on that character of the spaceman? I've always been fascinated with sci-fi films and, mm. and astronomy and science and, and you, know, you know, the whole Apollo program, Gemini and Apollo. I mean, I still find it fascinating. Now, do you, you know, I, I have like... Uh, this gigantic six thousand dollar telescope, fourteen inch <laughs> diameter. <laughs> yeah, I have all these crazy gadgets, and you know, I, I I can track the moon and I can track planets. You know, I bought all this stuff over the years, but I never have time to set it up and use it. <laughs> <laughs> That's half the problem, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, did, did, now it's funny because. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think about people? Do you, do you believe that the moon landing actually happened? Because there's a lot of people with a lot of evidence that said the moon landing never happened. The jury's out on that one. Yeah, man. I, I the was jury's wondering. out. I, I can't say for 100, you know, 
for 100% that it did happen, and I can't say 100% it didn't happen. It just seems with the level of computer technology they had in 1968, it, you know, well, my, it, it, it leaves room for doubt. Yeah, like I, I'm looking at my cell phone right now, okay, so it's an iPhone 5G. Five years ago, you still had those little flip phones that you would text like A, B, C, D, E, F, you know, like three characters for one push of the button. So yeah. in five years, if technology has gone to this, wouldn't you think if we went to the moon in 69 that there would be like, you know, a McDonald's on the moon at this point or a Starbucks on the moon at this point? Yeah, it, it, you know, there's a lot of question marks. You know, there's to me the biggest question mark on all the photographs of the moon with the astronauts on it. How come there's no stars? All right. And the question is, when I I, I talked to somebody about it, an astronomer, and he said, because if there was pictures of the stars, and then if the moon landing was faked. Anybody who understands astronomy and the constellations would be able to prove that it was filmed mm. on Earth. So yeah. they, they blocked out the stars in every picture from the moon. Wow. See, that's one thing I never noticed. Because the one I noticed that you always see is the flag planted in the moon, and it's kind of like blowing in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I said, the jury's out on that. You know, and... Uh, <laughs> Either way, it's, it's, it's an interesting food for thought. Well, yeah, something to, something to discuss for sure. Uh, we're talking to Ace Fraley, the Spaceman. His new solo album, Space Invader, is out now. You can get it on iTunes and Amazon now. And coming up, we'll talk more to the Space Ace. We'll hear about another famous Fraley invention, the Flaming Guitar. And I'm going to ask all about Shock Me, Parasite, Torpedo Girl, and what's Ace's favorite guitar solo? So much more with the Space Ace and Jericho coming up. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Talk is Jericho. We're talking to Ace Fraley here on Talk is Jericho. Now, uh, another invention of yours was the famous Ace Fraley uh, guitar that kind of started on fire during your solos. That, that, that was another one of your ideas as well, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that evolved from we were on tour in Canada, and I just decided to put a smoke bomb inside, you know, the back of the Les Paul, and then when I lit it with a, with a cigarette lighter with the fuse coming out the back. <laughs> And, you know, the smoke finally oozed out of the pickups. And eventually, after, you know, three or four shows, it ended up screwing up all the volume and tone controls. (laughs) So, you know, I had to figure out a better way to do that. And, you know, on the next tour, I got together with an engineer when we were doing pre-production, and we built the first smoker. Amazing that that you're – I mean, just think about it, Ace. I mean – I know you've lived with this for so many years, but when you're talking about the biggest bands in history, you know, in 1976, 77, 78, there was not a bigger band than Kiss. How was that for a guy from from New York City, just a laid back guy such as yourself, to have this entire the, the the world knew your name, like everybody? You're one of the most famous people on the planet. How did how did you uh, deal with that? I mean, how did you? Uh, well, first of all, Chris, I wasn't that laid back, to be honest with you. <laughs> 
that, <laughs> now you are, and you're in your older years. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's something that I almost really didn't ponder too much because mm. it, it kind of made me crazy. Mm. You know, and I and I and as you know, as history tells us, you know, I started abusing alcohol. And, mm-hmm. and drugs, because, you know, it, it was a little too much. It was like too much too soon. Mm-hmm. And it, it happens with so many rock stars. Yeah. And, you know, just I was lucky, you know, by the grace of God, I got sober, you know, seven and a half years ago. Was that something that was hard to do, Ace? It was real hard. I mean, I, I tried it several times during the course of my life, you know, but, you know, didn't take. But, you know, seven and a half years ago, I just, you know, made the commitment. And uh, luckily, I, I've been able to follow through with that. And, you know, I'm much better healthier for it well it, it did it, how about as a player do you do you find I you're think a better I'm, player you know on this new record i think i'm playing as good or better than anything i've done in the past and, and also vocally everybody's telling me that my voice sounds great well that's a good point too if you're drinking or, or smoking or whatever that does affect your voice for sure yeah the cocaine didn't help either Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Was it hard at first to uh, to take the mic? Uh, I know, like, like for example, you wrote "Parasite" but didn't sing it. You wrote "Cold Gin" but didn't sing it. How, how, how were you a little bit uh, shy to sing, or what? Finally- uh, you know, I was insecure about my vocals ability mm-hmm. back then, and you know, you know, you know, Paul and Gene and Peter were, were full blown lead singers, and you know, I was a little intimidated by all three of them. But you know, eventually, I got up enough nerve, and you know. Mm-hmm. Once I did Shock Me live at Madison Square Garden, you know, that was it. That <laughs> <laughs> kind of changes no everything. <laughs> now, I read your book, uh, No Regrets, uh, Rock and Roll Memoir. So many hilarious stories from the 70s. Uh, some crazy times, man. Like you mentioned, there was some alcohol and drugs involved. But I think, too, just being on the road and being kind of cooped up a lot of times, th- there's some great stories. And the, the one that was great was when did you throw everything out of your hotel room and then hide in your bed when the when the security guards came? That was so insane. I really thought I was going, going to jail that night. <laughs> tell, tell us about that story it's one of my favorites it was uh you know i forget where we were down south somewhere and uh, i was with some racing car driver i forgot his name another <laughs> friend of mine from westchester new york was living there at the time <clears throat> and we just got completely loaded and had a crazy party and then towards the end of the night just started throwing all the furniture out the window and everybody joined in and uh, <laughs> you know a couple of times, you know, we almost hit cars. I mean, it, it was really crazy, and it was, like, hazardous. And and, uh, and then, you know, my road manager comes running and says, hey, the cops are on the way up. You know, they're going to take you away. And I, I said, hey, I don't want to go to jail. He said, get under the bed and put the pillow over your head. And <laughs> he somehow talked them out of it. So, you know, saying I wasn't responsible. It was other people in the room. So that you were asleep in bed while everybody else was throwing the stuff out of the. Oh man, I was just like I was just like counting my blessings that night that you know I didn't get arrested because you know that would have been not fun. Well, I mean, and you you hear it all the time too, especially you know you talk about rock musicians or even you know wrestlers too. A lot of guys got lucky, and a lot of guys didn't. There was a lot of times when you're you're pretty lucky to be alive in this day and age right now, Ace. Well, you know a lot. A lot of car accidents. Mm-hmm. A couple of times, you know, I OD'd. A couple of times, I thought I was getting a heart attack, and uh, you know, rushed myself to the hospital. And luckily, it was just a, a panic attack, you know, from too much partying. But I mean, it could have gone the other way, you know. But you know, for some reason, God, you know, kept me alive, you know. And yeah, I'm here today. You know, I mean, one of the biggest. 
treats for me today is like I'll be doing an autograph session and a fan will come up to me and whisper in my ear, hey, Ace, I've been sober six months, you know, all, and it's all due to you. Mm. He goes, you did it, I can do it. And I said, wow, great, great news. Keep it up, you know, and that's some of the rewards I get today. Yeah, I think, it, you know, I'm sure when people tell you that you influenced them as a guitar player, it's always cool to hear. But when you hear something like that, that, they, you know, you influence them to get sober, that's real serious perspective. It's it's part of my life today, and and it's it's uh, I'm I'm really happy and proud to be a power of example to whoever feels uh, they want to get sober. You know, if I could do it, anybody could do it. Believe me, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I remember when when you first left Kiss too, and you came out with your first solo record. You talked about that in Rock Soldiers about crashing in the DeLorean automobile, and um, what was it took you a few years to to get that solo record out after you let Kiss? Did you did you just need to chill out for a while after leaving that huge machine? It took me a while to find myself. I mean. I remember the first show I performed without makeup, you know. Wow. Yeah. I was saying to myself, are people going to like the way I look? Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what I look like without the makeup. You know, I've been hiding behind that mask, you know. So, it, it, you know, it was a little traumatic, but, you know, like everything else, you get through it. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Yeah, to kind of have that paint on, which is like your, your superhero costume, and then to go without. But even though it was the 80s, so you wore a lot of makeup anyways. Well, you know, a little face makeup, you know. But that was the times, you know. You teased out your hair in those days, and, you know, you put uh, eyeliner and crap, you know. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of go with the times. That was right. No, it was, it, was, it was some cool times, man, for sure. Uh, I wanted to ask you, too, what, did you th- what do you think now, looking back, of the Psycho Circus record that you guys did? When, I think on it was the- a good record. I didn't contribute very much to it, you know, only one song. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't perform on most of the other tracks, you know. I wasn't invited to the sessions. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so they just had other guys play. Wow, okay. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, because I've heard that before with... with, um... I mean, those guys are really control freaks. Gotcha. And I remember talking to Paul one day saying, you know, aren't you concerned that when the fans find out that the four original guys didn't play on it, he goes, they don't care. Hmm. Wow, yeah. But, but I, you know, I said, they do care. You know, you, you're, you know, you're just, you're living in an illusion here. Well, the fans I, do care. Yeah, especially when you find out stuff like that, that, you know, so-and-so didn't play bass or so-and-so didn't play drums, and then plus you've got to play the songs live as well, right? Exactly. Let me just ask you a couple more questions about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a song title to you and tell me what you, uh, what you remember about the song or if there's anything that passes. Tell me about Parasite. Parasite, you know, has withstood the test of time as a classic rocker. and uh, Great riff. I just came up with the riff one day, and it evolved into, a, you know, the final song. It's such a heavy riff from the early 70s. I mean, it's really intense. Yeah, well, you know, Space Invader, I mean, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> Inside the Vortex is pretty heavy. It is, yeah. Space Invader is your record ace. Inside the Vortex is the song. <laughs> How about Shock Me? Shock Me. That evolved, you know, just uh, a rhythm guitar part, and I came up with the lyrics and the melody, and, you know. What, what finally made you take the jump to say, I want to sing this song? Well, it, it was, well, I sang it in the studio, but even in the studio, I was, I was shy. I told Eddie Kramer to lower the lights, and I, and I actually sang it on my back. Really? Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, I was that crazy, you know, and it's... insecure about my vocal. I still don't really consider myself a lead vocalist. You know, I sing because I'm a, a singer, songwriter, and a producer. And a guitar player, but I really don't, you know, I sing out of necessity, not because I love doing it. But, but as a result, though, you have a very uh, distinctive voice. When you hear an Ace Fraley song, you, you know it. You know that singing style. Yeah, well, I kind of painted myself into a corner by this, at this point. <laughs> you know, I got to do it whether I like it or not. It's just a lot of work every night, you know, singing now, that many songs when I perform live. Here's one of my favorite Ace Fraley songs is Rip It Out. Yeah, that's a classic rocker, and I I remember when I first started touring as a solo artist, I, I used to open with that. Oh, really? And that's with Anton Fig on drums, right? Yeah, he did a terrific drum track on that. Tremendous player. Now, here's a weird one, Torpedo Girl. What, what were you writing that about, Ace? You know, that just evolved over that real crazy riff, and, you know, I played the bass on that. It's kind of a counterpoint bass against the guitar riff. Oh, yeah, okay. And, uh... It, you know, it, I was. I think I was probably half loaded when I came up with the idea for that. You know, it's 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 so. Uh, it's it's. It, I guess it's, you could say it's kind of nutty. Who was the torpedo? <laughs> Especially the intro. Yeah, it's like almost like a salsa type uh, type vibe. <laughs> Who was the torpedo girl? Oh, I don't know. There were many. Trust me. There's... <laughs> There is a legion of torpedo girls oh, yeah. in this country. And the other one I want to ask you about is Dark Light um, from, from Elder that actually has uh, lyrics from Lou Reed. Yeah, that was something I jammed on with, with Bob Ezrin up at his studio in Toronto. I guess it was, what was it, me, Bob, and uh, I guess it was Eric Carr at the time. Okay. And we jammed on that riff, and I had wrote, written some lyrics and... Uh, Bob didn't think they were good enough, or he wanted. He felt the song should be in a, a different direction mm-hmm. because it was a concept album. Right. And he, he, he called up Lou Reed, and Lou Reed was kind enough to write uh, some different lyrics that were more in tune with, with the theme of the record. Hmm. Is it is it uh, when you have to sing someone else's lyrics? Is it is it harder? Did you just go in there and just bang it out? Not at all. I mean, you know. Just I love doing covers, you know. That's true, right. To me, what the most important thing is whatever makes the best song. Whatever's best for the song, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, last couple of questions, Ace. What's your favorite solo that you've ever played, if you had to choose just one or two? Oh, I don't know. How many solos have I done? Over 100? <laughs> Probably know? more than that. One it's... of the most spontaneous ones was the solo in, in Strange Ways. Really? Yeah, I mean, I I told Eddie Kramer, I said, look, I'm just going to go out. You know, normally you do solos in the control room, you know, with headphones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you do it, you know, in, in the in the room outside the control room, you know, with an amp. But that one, I didn't even, uh, I, I, I put a Marshall on 10, and I was standing right in front of the stack. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, want, you know, that was like one take. Wow. You kept the first take. It was crazy. <laughs> you were just uh, you were just inspired at that moment, right? I, and I really couldn't even hear what the hell I was playing because I'm standing in front of the stack. So the even though I had headphones on, the volume was so loud that I it, it completely I could hardly hear the drum track. I'm surprised it's in in tempo, you know. 
Right. Wow. And it's and it worked, man. That, that's yeah. That's, well, it was just one of those spontaneous moments in rock and roll. <laughs> it lasts forever. <laughs> Last question: What songs do you still love playing live that the crowd just uh, gives you it gives you uh, so much love when you do it? Well, I mean, you know, the classic songs that I've written: "Shock Me," "Cold Gin," "Rocket Ride." Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't write "New York Groove," but it's it's a fun song to perform. People love it too. The, yeah, the biggest you know, I, hit. From the solo records. Excuse me? I said the biggest hit from all the solo records was New York Yeah, yeah, yeah. who knew? I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, you just kind of point me in the right direction and... Uh, Put the guitar on, turn the volume up, and just play. And roll the dice, and usually uh, I hit the jackpot, you know, nine out of ten times. <laughs> yeah, well, and you hit the jackpot with Space Invader Ace. Thank a you. Tremendous that. record. Uh, Starship, for me, is, is one of my favorites. Great guitar work on it. And so cool to talk to you today. I really, really uh, appreciate talking to you, Ace. And uh, congratulations on another amazing solo record. Thanks so much, Chris. It was a pleasure talking to you. And next time, I, I got to come on your show live. Absolutely. I'd love to have it. You got to bring your smoking flute. You got it. <laughs> All right, Ace. Thanks, bud. Okay, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care, man. Bye. Thanks so much to Ace Fraley. What an amazing guest. Hey, the best thing of all is after he was done with this interview, uh, his publicist sent us an email, uh, sent my amazing producer, Stacy an email saying that Ace was super excited that he got to talk to me and he was telling all the uh, reporters afterwards that he just spoke to Chris Jericho and he had such a great time. He wants to do it again uh, in the future in person. So that is just amazing. One of my rock and roll heroes, uh, excited to have done Talk is Jericho. Thanks to Ace for all the stories. Go check out his new record, Space Invader, now. And, of course, thanks to Ash Irvin, our resident fish expert, for all of his insight and knowledge about fish. Thanks to all of you for checking it out. And thanks to all of you who bought the new Fozzie record, Do You Want to Start a War? It's just uh, our biggest record of our career. So many uh, amazing uh, bits of feedback and response from all of you. Uh, lots of really cool things uh, next month we hit the road with Theory of a Dead Man that tour starts September 17th I'm going to play another tune from Do You Want to Start a War right now if you haven't heard this one yet it's a, it's a new one for the show another song written by Rich Ward and Johnny Andrews the, uh, the two uh, amazing amazing artists who came up with Lights Go Out this is the other song on the record that they wrote together it's called No Good Way it's from Do You Want to Start a War and we're going to play it right now crank it up <laughs>
you think cool chorus huh that was another one that was a little bit hard to sing but i still really really enjoyed it and i'm glad that we got to play it for you today if you don't have do you want to start a war and you're sitting on the fence do us a favor and go pick it up that's how bands make their living is by you spending your hard-earned money on our hard-earned work and we appreciate all of you who listened to the record all of you who picked up the record and all of you who are going to come see us live on this tour uh, starting especially in September with Theory of a Dead Man so and thanks to all of you who've been doing your online shopping through my Amazon link totally helps out our show really easy to find just go to podcast1.com click on the keeper podcast free banner at the top of the page then click on talk is jericho you'll see all three of my amazon links in the uk the usa and the canada a every time you do that amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free for twice a week no extra fees or hidden charges you're just getting your shopping done and you're helping me out in the process and if you like talk is jericho and you're listening to it on itunes subscribe to it hit that subscribe button sign up it'll get sent to your device every week and you're not going to want to miss any show every single week this show it just kicks butt And that's it. Another edition of Talk is Jericho. But in the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs. We'll see you next week when my guest in an exclusive two-part interview, you might have heard of him, multiple WWE World Champion, future WWE Hall of Famer, and one of the stars of the biggest movie of the summer, Guardians of the Galaxy. That's right. 
Dave Batista live in the studio. Face-to-face, Batista and Jericho, part one and two, and that comes up next week. Who's got your back? Who's got the best podcast on the air? You know who does. Biggest guests, best guests, best talk, more rock. Oh, I'm going to walk if you don't like it. You're going to love it. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next week with Batista right here on Talk to Jericho. And if that doesn't deserve a big hip boy, then I don't know what does. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 